Talk about some uh, interesting imagery for this series, this, this skull uh, dipped in gold. And the title of this series, Seven Weeks Leading Up to Easter. We are seven weeks and counting till Resurrection Sunday where we celebrate and we party. Do you know that the world parties to forget stuff? But the church ought to be partying just as hard to remember stuff. Come on, you know what? Every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, do you know what we do? The world parties to forget, to drown out their problems. We party to remember we part, when we celebrate baptisms, when we celebrate those coming to Christ, when we come in and we gather together and we celebrate what God is doing through worship and praise, we're partying to remember. And Easter Sunday is all about remembering the greatest day on the stage of human history when Jesus proved he was who he said he was, when he raises again and he defeats death, hell, and the grave. And we're leading up to that by talking about these powerful words spoken by Jesus himself on the cross, and that cross was on a hill called Golgotha. Now, the skull, place of the skull, uh, we get the words for the place of the skull from different languages. In the Greek, the name is cranion. So if you've ever uh, heard cranium, that's where we get that, uh, the English word cranium from the Greek cranion. If you've ever played the game cranium, it's a, it's a fun game, I recommend it. Hebrew word is what we read in scripture, and it's Golgotha. But then one that may surprise you, in fact, it's those church of people that drive by and they see that skull on the, on the, on the sign. And they say, oh, no, to have that skull up there, that's, that's evil, that's, that's, that's wicked. Well, did you know that they actually the, the Latin word for skull is Calvary? So anybody that attends a Calvary church, that's actually skull church. I like that. I like that better. I like that better. Welcome to skull church, a.k.a. Calvary. So Calvary isn't the cross. Calvary is the skull. And it's on this place. This place has prominence uh, right outside the city of Jerusalem because it was a main thoroughfare, an intersection of roads would cross this hill and enter into Jerusalem. But, but, but it's not just the place, the, the Golgotha. It's really, it's the gold that we want to talk about. The, the author of Proverbs chapter 25 says it like this. He says, the right word at the right time is like golden apples in silver jewelry. It's priceless treasure. It's the Fabergé egg. It's the right word at the right time. And if there were ever important words to remember and listen to and be reminded of, all of Scripture is breathed by God through authors. But these words, these final statements, these seven statements of Jesus on the cross, we're going we're gonna to... Little by little, talk about each and every statement. And you know what? I'm believing that God is going to re-stir a passionate love for him. There are some of you, look, you have become tired. You've become tired and maybe dry. And you at once, at one time, had a passionate relationship with Christ, but it's drifted you, you, you've kind of drifted away from the shore. Others, you're still investigating the claims of Christ. Even others, you, you, you really don't even know what to do with Jesus. And I want to say I believe these next few weeks are going to stir every single one of us, no matter where we are, because his words are powerful. 
Now, seven statements, it's interesting that it's seven statements. Um, the word, the, the number seven has symbolic value in the word of God. It means totality or completion. Now, don't get crazy on me and get all numerologist on me where you're like, oh, well, if we add up all this and that must mean, oh, he's coming back in 2024. Like, don't do that goofy stuff. Or, you know, oh, if you take the word Hitler and you, you alphabetical, blah, 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 it means 666. Don't, don't stop it. Stop. But there's symbolism in the word seven, um, seven days uh, in a week, six days of creation with the seventh God resting, uh, seven notes in the musical scale, seven colors in the rainbow, and eight means new beginning, but seven is, this, is, is a number that represents completion uh, in Judaism and all throughout Scripture. And these seven statements not only at the place of the skull, but what he endured to still even say those in the middle of crazy horror like you can't still imagine. Those last words mean a lot to us. They ought to mean an awful lot to us. You know, every one of us, write it down, every one of us will have last words. Some will be intentional. Some will not. It's like the person who texts and that last text goes through and they're gone. Texting while driving. It's like the person who says something off, off the cuff or off-handed or even out of spite and they slam the door and they leave the house and it was the last words. Every one of us will have last words, intentional or not. But the beauty of Jesus' last words is they were at immeasurable cost. The words of Jesus on the cross cost an immeasurable amount that you and I still just have a hard time grasping. The day before he is crucified, he was crucified on Good Friday, and the crucifixion started at 9 a.m. and it ended at 3 p.m. It was six hours from the time he was nailed to the cross to the time he gave up the spirit and died. But backing up into Thursday evening, he's had his final supper with the disciples, a Passover meal, and it's the last supper. And they leave that room where they had dined together, and he had talked to them and prayed over them. And they leave that supper, and they sing together as they're walking. The Bible says they sang sang a song together as they went to one of Jesus' favorite places, the Mount of Olives. And there on the Mount of Olives was a a deeper place that Jesus went to called the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples followed him up the mountain, but there in the garden to the deeper place, only three followed him into into the inner area where Jesus was agonizing in his flesh so much, so stressed. Uh, such stress on his flesh body of what was about to happen that his body was reacting with this weight he was carrying to where as he sweat there in the garden, his sweat was droplets of blood. And it wasn't long after he was praying that one of his 12, Judas, comes in with a group of soldiers and with a kiss of betrayal. Jesus is handcuffed and taken And he is now taken to six illegal trials that last all through the night. They had already, the the, the leaders had already determined he was guilty. Um, They just had to figure out a way to make it legal so they could kill him without having retribution. 
And so they start the whole process by going to the previous high priest whose name was Annas. And they talk about the, the, what Jesus had done. The only thing they could hang on him was that he had claimed to be the son of God, which was blasphemy. And blasphemy in the Jewish law was punishable by death. And for Jews, they did not have the right under occupied Rome... They didn't have the right because they, they were occupied by Rome to, to do any of their own executions. So they had to go through a system of government. But from Annas, the previous priest, to then Caiaphas' house and his courtyard, uh, the high priest that was current of the day, from there into a, an assembly of other Jewish religious leaders. So they went from the church or the, Jew, the, 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 the religious government, went from Annas to Caiaphas into the Sanhedrin, the assembly. From there they had to move out. Outside the religious piece, they gathered their data, they, 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 they accused him of all kinds of things that just simply weren't accurate. He didn't blaspheme, he was the son of God, he is the son of God. And they now take it into the actual political system and they move to Pilate who is prefect of Judah. He was the, 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 the Roman in charge over that area called Judah. Now Pilate talks with Jesus and he determines, there's nothing, but these, these guys are out for blood. He is a straw man for their own agenda. He's not, he's not guilty. He says, no, I don't have anything to do. So he sends them back to them, and so they take Jesus, and they take him to Herod, who is, who is um, uh, this, this, this uh, uh, top piece authority person over the Jews that neither the Jews liked or the Samaritans liked. He, just, he was a ruthless ruler. It didn't really have a ton of power, but enough to be afraid of him there in Judea. Herod can't do anything with him. He doesn't want to be responsible, so he sends him back to Pilate. Six illegal trials all in a row. In between these, Jesus is beaten. His beard is grabbed and ripped out. They make a mockery of him, and they blindfold him, and they, they punch him in the face. They say, oh, if you, if you do miracles, if you can heal blind eyes, tell us who's hitting you now. Who, who, why don't you send all your angels that you say you're in charge of? Why don't you send them to protect you now, huh? He's beaten. He's mocked. He's wounded. A crown of thorns placed deep into his scalp. You know, the Jews, if they had the privilege to execute, they would have stoned him to death. But because it went into now Roman hands... Romans had been crucifying for several years now. And around the time of Jesus, there was roughly 30,000 crucifixions. Rome, it was a deterrent for crime. Stoning, you take them out, you stone them, you leave them there. But with crucifixion, it takes a while. And they would line relatively busy roads with crucifixions. And, and they would be there, not real high up into the sky, about a foot off the ground, the pedestal would be. And with a trio of nails, one in each hand, and one putting both feet onto that little pedestal, people could walk right by them and see them almost face to face. Jesus was crucified at Golgotha, Calvary, Cranion. And he's crucified there in a major thoroughfare of Jerusalem. 
thousands of people would go in and out that way. It's why when Pilate had Jesus crucified, they put a sign on the top of the cross that said the king of the Jews. In three different languages, there was that many people. Modern author has said it this way. If if Jesus were to be crucified today, it would be as though he would be placed in the parking lot of Walmart. Crucified there for everybody just to walk by and see what was going on. Now, Pilate doesn't want, doesn't want to, 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 to execute this guy. In fact, he tries many different ways to get out of it. He sends Jesus off to be flogged, um, the, 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 the whip, and he's whipped and lacerated his body, just becoming a mess of bandage, just, just, just rippled skin, busted and broken and bleeding, and this whip of glass and bone uh, melted inside the whip would, would take and just lacerate Jesus. Many times that whip would wrap around someone's face and take an eye and gouge the eye out in the middle of this incredible excruciating pain. That's not even crucifixion. That's just punishment. So after he punishes Jesus, he thinks this is going to be enough. This is going to be enough. So he places him in front of of the crowd who's thirsty for blood. And he stands there. They put a robe on him. And he's standing there bloody and beaten and lacerated. And Pilate says, I'm innocent of this man's blood as he washes his hands. It is your responsibility. And he's thinking maybe they've gotten their taste and they can move on. But all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Another translation says it this way, may his blood be upon us and our children. We'll take full responsibility, crucify him. This isn't enough. And now Jesus is torn, tattered, sleep deprived. And he's given the front part, the the, the top T of the cross called the platabellum. 75 to 100 pounds that he has to carry now having been wounded already so deeply. And he does not have the strength to make the journey up the hill to the skull. To the point he keeps falling, the Romans want to pick it up. So they order Simon the Cyrene, who was from Africa, to take the platabellum and take it himself. And Simon carried part of the cross. And Jesus came to the place of the skull. And we pick up the story in Luke. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. You know why he was in between two criminals. Because he took a cross that wasn't his. Barabbas was the leader of the gang. And they chose to let Barabbas off instead of Jesus off. And so where Barabbas should have been hanging between his two compadres, Jesus hung between two common criminals, one on the right, one on the left. And Jesus said the first statement at the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus, before we move any further, may these words pierce us today. The beauty of piercing us, Lord, is to to feel the wound so that you would come and bring healing because of these beautiful words. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. It wasn't the, the nails that killed him. The nails were simply there to hold him in place. And I can tell you that those nails would have provided a bloody scene just in and of themselves. When I was 12 years old, I got a Swiss Army knife for Christmas. And I had two younger siblings, a nine-year-old brother at the time and a six-year-old sister, Jared and Lacey. And that Christmas in Paola, Kansas, I received that Swiss Army knife. We had some big boxes that we got during Christmas. And in Kansas, they have basements. Don't think of a cellar like where you put, you know, pickled, you know, like, like jarred up pickles in there. Like a whole huge basements you can live in. It's nuts. It's crazy. Our basement was not livable. It was just concrete with some foundation poles holding the top part of the house up. But it was large enough and open enough we could take our bicycles down there while it was snowing and cold outside. And it wasn't a big old racetrack, but we could just make circles in there. We were just happy. There was no Fortnite. There was no Xbox. There were circles in your basement for hours. That's it. And we were happy, and we turned out pretty nice. Okay, anyway. So with all these extra boxes, we had the great idea to make our bicycles tanks. And I had a handy-dandy Swiss Army knife that had like 47 things, including a, you know, a, a, like a thing to take your beer cap off of. I have 12. I don't need that. But I had chosen one of the saws that comes with the Swiss Army knife, and I, and I, I wasn't the greatest carpenter, but, but I had put that uh, box over me, and I'm trying to cut out an eye hole because I'm going to ride my bike downstairs with this big box over me that I'm going to design like a tank, and when I get close to my brother, I'm going to push it off of me, throw it onto him, make him fall. That's what brothers do. Got this whole best laid plans going on. And as I begin to cut that hole, <clears throat> my six-year-old sister said to my nine-year-old brother, hey, let's go beat on the box. And Jared's like, shut up, you're an idiot, you know, you're stupid. You know how nine and six-year-olds are. I'm going to ride my bike. And so Lacey, not knowing that I had this knife out, cutting a hole in the box, she came over with her red locks just flowing and fun and smiles. And she came to, with her six-year-old little tiny hands, began to pitter-pat on top of that box. And with just a couple of strokes before I could even say, Lacey, what do you, stop. She slammed that one of her hands down on the knife and the blade pierced all the way through her hand. Before she even knew what had happened, she was still pounding on the box and it stopped. And some of the most incredible shrieks I've ever heard in my life as a 12-year-old, I threw that box off and on the box... She didn't even realize there, were bloody hand, there was a bloody handprint in three or four places. And when she saw, and she saw the blood, she began to shriek. And me being the caring older brother, I said, shh, you know, don't tell mom and dad. I'll go get you some toilet paper. But my brother, jerk, he's like, mom, dad, Jeremy stabbed Lacey. Sure enough, they had to rush her to the ER and several stitches later. And my sister, when she was in fourth grade, was telling that story. And there was a young girl on the front row of her fourth grade class listening. We'll call her Christiana because that is her name. Lacey's talking about this blade coming through like this. And the doctor putting tweezers through her palm. And, and Christiana just passed out right there in fourth grade class. So if someone passes out right now, it's probably not the spirit. It's probably just, you know.
that was a lot of blood, and that was crazy, but nails weren't the deal. Um, the spear on his side wasn't the deal. Crucifixion is execution by suffocation. And I want you to understand, they, 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 would, have to, they would have to, with all their strength, lift up against that splintery beam if they wanted to say anything at all. And Jesus has already been beaten within an inch of his life and his, his ribboned back has to scrape up against that splintery cross. And yet he uses more than 72 muscles in his throat and in his mouth and the tongue to still speak out very important words. I'm calling this message Dead Man's Handle. If you go to San Francisco and you look at a trolley, they have trolley systems there. The trolley operator has a, what's called a dead man's handle. And it's something you grab onto and you hold onto. If that operator becomes incapacitated, it's, it's, it's also called a fail safe. You, you release that and the engine stops. It doesn't just go careening into San Francisco traffic. Same with a subway. You have these metal torpedoes flying through subway systems with thousands of people on them. And if something happens to the operator, there's dead man handle uh, there and also in the control room that is a fail-safe that if let go or there's something signaled, they, they, they can stop it without catastrophe. That same dead man's handle is not just a protection mechanism. It can also be weaponized. It's like a hand grenade that you've seen. Military hand grenade that, that you would hang on to the lever and you pull the pin. If you let go, you've got about three seconds before boom. It can be weaponized. And there was something powerful in the words of Jesus that when he died, the, 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 the dead man's handle, the fail safe was activated. It wasn't a negative thing. It was a beautiful thing. The scripture says clearly in John 12, if I be lifted up, Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. In prayer meetings all across church circles, we, we read that scripture, we say that scripture as though we're praying, we're lifting him up. And we, we do lift his name up in prayer. But this isn't about if you pray, I'll draw men unto me. That's why a lot of churches can pray really good, but nobody comes in their doors because it's not just about praying, it's actually about doing what he said to do. But the whole lifted up is not about lifting up in prayer if I be lifted up. The same way the serpent was lifted on, on a piece of wood in the Old Testament and they were healed. They're, 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 Jesus is lifted up on this cross. If I be lifted up, I'm going to draw all men. And the moment Jesus dies, it sends a, a shock wave of grace to all humanity. All of a sudden, in this, in, 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 this, in this moment, the moment Jesus let go, it all blew up in the best way possible because forgiveness was available for you and for me. Forgiveness was on his agenda for us. So let's break this down a little bit, this first statement on the cross. Let's start with number one. Forgiveness is our greatest need because sin is our biggest problem. You have needs. You have medical needs, relational needs, physical needs. You have wants. You have desires. You have needs. I have needs. 
that can be fulfilled by certain things on this earth. But your greatest need has been, is, and will always be forgiveness of your sin. So we see this scripture. He says, Father, forgive. Well, Father, forgive what? Father, forgive what? Father, forgive sin. The genetic code in all of us that we're born into this thing called sin that separates us from God. Look, sin is not just what the, is not what the church would describe it. It's what the word of God says. The word of God gives us the line to follow, gives us the moral compass for life, the conduct, the convictions, and the character that we should follow in Christ. When we choose not to follow those things, that is sinning. As an archer pulls back the bow, the string on the bow, and and that, that arrow propels towards the bullseye, as that arrow loses and begins to fall off, the radar falls off the bullseye. That's called an arrow that sends. And when we don't follow after God, when, when, when we choose to live the way that just makes sense to us and makes sense to other people and just what I feel when it doesn't align with God's word, that's sin. And sin separates us from God. It's not a simple thing, it's a very serious thing. Forgiveness is our greatest need because sin is our biggest problem. And all of us have sinned and fallen short. In fact, the scripture says all have sinned and fall short. On your best day, you're a sinner saved by grace. And forgiveness is the greatest need. And he starts the conversation on the cross. With forgiveness. Father, forgive what sin? Father, forgive who? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So who is the them, you think? Who's the them that he's referring to as he prays, as he, as he musters up enough strength to, to cry out loud enough to where somebody could write down what he was saying? Well, could it be Judas? Father, forgive Judas for betraying me. Father, forgive Peter who denied him as the rooster crowed. Could it be the crowd who chose a thief over the Messiah? Could it be the soldiers who beat him mercilessly? Could it be Pilate who still gave him up? Could it be the disciples who abandoned him except one that we know about at the foot of the cross? All the other ten, we know where Judas was. He had felt guilty and committed suicide. But the other ten disciples other than John at the foot of the cross, we don't know where they go. They abandoned Jesus in that dark, dark day. Is that the them? No. Here's, here's the deal. Write it down. The them is us. The them is all humanity. Scripture's clear in Isaiah. Before Jesus even goes to the cross, 400 years before Jesus is even born in a cave among animals. Isn't this crazy? The Savior of the world chooses to be born among animals. And then he dies in between criminals. Who does that? Especially if you can choose. The savior of humanity shows, I want to I live a life that you can understand. 
And then I'm going to pay a price you could never understand. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned every one to his own way. To what makes sense to them. To what feels better because the alternative just doesn't really connect with where I want to go or who I want to be or what I want to do. And it just seems to be a better choice for me to figure it out on my own versus following the word of God. And the Lord then lays on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin, the transgression of us. Who? All. The iniquity was laid on him for all of us. And on that cross, he wasn't just praying for forgiveness. He was, he was paying for your forgiveness and for mine. Forgiveness is your greatest, greatest need. And if, I hope that if you've not realized that, that you'll walk out of here today doing business with God based on your biggest need because your biggest need you cannot fulfill anywhere else instead of with, with words and a heart surrendered to Christ. He's the only one that can fulfill your greatest need in your life. So we see this forgiveness. Number two, that same grace of forgiveness has to flow wherever you go. It's not enough now for us to embrace the grace of the cross and not offer that to other people. We are, we are called to then understanding the forgiveness of God, unmerited favor, when we deserve judgment. Look, look at this. God treats you and me like Jesus should be treated. He treats you and me like a son and a daughter of God. But then he takes Jesus, and he treats Jesus the way you should have been treated. To die in your own sin. To lay on you the iniquity of you. But it's this grace. It's this unmerited favor. And we're rescued from the bowels of sin. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. And here's the deal. He's not just a rescue. Jesus isn't just at the cross. And he's, he's not just rescuing us. By paying for forgiveness. He's a role model. If you were to rewind the tapes of Jesus' life on earth three years earlier as he begins his ministry, he gives his vision statement, his state of the world address, if you will. And he starts with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 records this great sermon. And on this Sermon of the Mount there, he gives us very critical principles for living. He says things, he turns things on its side. He gets people just like, like it's hard, their minds are blown what he's saying. It's a hard to take in even. In fact, the more he teaches, the Bible even says some people couldn't handle the teaching and they left him. Like even when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, some were scared about what was going on. Like, like it, it, it's nuts. You think, well, if I can see Jesus raise the dead, then I'll actually bow you know, ahead and, 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 and serve him, if I could actually see a miracle. What makes you any different from the people that saw miracle after miracle after miracle and still yelled, crucify him? It's, it's not about what you're waiting to see. It's what he's already shown. He's already shown the most incredible grace you could ever imagine. But on this Sermon on the Mount, he says statements like this. Hey, everybody, love your enemies. What? What you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> he gets all Tyler Perry up in there. Love your enemies. I, I know, like, we've talked about eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I'm saying love, love those who hate you. He says, bless those who curse you. 
they're giving you a cursing. They're, 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 they're flipping you off as they're leaving the church parking lot because the parking lot's crazy after second service. And you don't return the favor with a, you know, a aloha welcome or whatever. You bless those who curse you. He says, you know what else? Do good to those who hate you. That's hard. That's, t- that's a tough teaching. Pray for those who persecute you. What? <clears throat> and here's, here is, here's the beauty. Fast forward back now to the cross. And he is loving his enemies. And he is blessing those who cursed him. And he is doing good for those who hated him. And he is praying, Father, forgive them in the middle of his crazy, deep, horrific persecution. Are you still with me this morning? And it's not just up to God now. The apostle Paul says, hey, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The very prayer Jesus invites us to pray every day. It's got to be an everyday prayer because he wouldn't have added, give us this day our daily bread if he didn't intend for us to pray it every day. But in that prayer, we ought to be praying every single day. It takes you 23 seconds. Later on in this year, I'm going to do a series on the Lord's Prayer, 23 seconds. It will change your life. And I, I'm believing that we're going to be the kind of church that, that, that gears up and prays the Lord's Prayer in a powerful way every day over your, over your life, but then praying that over your family. In that prayer, we're encouraged by Jesus to say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have you know what trespassing is? Walking where you shouldn't walk. Forgive us, our tra- forgive us when we walked where we shouldn't walk. And forgive those who walked on us. Forgive those who trespassed, walked on us when, why did they walk on us? Why did they walk over us? And we have to forgive. It's scriptural. It'll change your life. It'll propel you forward when you learn to forgive. Number three, focusing on others is key to suffering triumphantly. In this world, you will experience suffering. The key is if you focus just on the suffering, you go so internal, you miss how God wants to use this suffering actually to be a blessing to others. It doesn't mean that you can't care about where you are, that you can't cry out to God, that you can't be vulnerable. Even Jesus cried out, oh God, this suffering's gonna come. I'm gonna have to drink this suffering cup and it's gonna be hard. Would you take this cup from me? It's okay to pray prayers like that. But it's also important to see how Jesus in the middle of his weakest moment in the flesh was able to focus on others. And he was triumphant in his suffering because of it. There, There are people that, suffer and they then begin to blame God. They curse God. They get mad at God. It's understandable. Suffering is suffering. But there's something powerful when you can take those moments of suffering. And there's something that God teaches other people. When they see, when they see someone who's struggling in the middle of their cancer, pray for other people. Whew. My sister-in-law, as she was dying of breast cancer, About 70 days before she died, I had the privilege of taking her up to MD Anderson. That whole trip, just listening to her, not even 
pray for herself, but pray for those that are lost. Pray for those that need Pray for her children. Pray for her family. There was so much going on during those moments that not a lot of people know about. And she was praying for others. There was just, she was triumphant in her suffering because she showed people how to trust God in the middle of her suffering. Jesus goes and he says that first statement, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let's talk about that for a second. What do you mean they know not what they do? Judas knew what he did. He went out and hanged himself. Peter knew what he did. He went out and wept bitterly, wept bitterly after he accused Christ. The centurion knew what he did, that centurion being over at least 100 leaders in the Roman army, that after Jesus died, that centurion spoke out and said, surely this was the Son of God. He knew what he, he knew. They knew what they had done physically, but they didn't know what they, they didn't know what coming against God and doing it their own way, they didn't know what they were doing. They, they knew the outcome. They didn't know the depth, the internal spiritual depth of what was happening in that moment. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, none of the rulers of this age understood it all. Because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they really knew their heart condition and what Christ was doing to pay that sin issue off, they wouldn't have done it. But they don't know what they're doing. And I want to say to you, when we sin, many times... We just don't know what we're doing. You just don't know how it, like when we help ourselves to sin, when we just indulge just this once or just this fifth time or just, you know what, I deserve this. This will make me feel better. When we say, no, this is, the, you know what, I'm just going to live my life. Like God will understand when we help ourselves to sin, falling short of his plan, of his character, conduct, and convictions. We hurt ourselves. We don't help ourselves. And I wonder how many just don't know what they don't know how really that moment of sin that might be gratifying your flesh for a moment, how deeply that's wounding you long term. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus focused through suffering and he focused on others. You know what's a beautiful thing? We don't quite see it in the Greek but the original manuscripts, they suggest that the whole statement, Father, forgive them, the way it's written, it suggests that Father, forgive them was said more than once. That it was a statement on the cross, but it's kind of like, have you ever been praying and you just say it like this? Jesus, 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 Jesus. You ever do that? I do that. Father, help me. Oh, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Know what you want, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. And you just repeat stuff in prayer? That's okay. That's okay. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The original manuscript, rep, it, it, it suggests that Jesus would have said, Father, forgive them. Oh, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And every person that walked up to Jesus, Father, forgive them. Every, every soldier that said, oh, why don't you send your, your angels to take you down? In fact, in the garden, Peter pulls out his, his knife, tries to go, you know, tries to cut the dude's head off. Instead, he goes Evander, you know, he goes uh, Mike Tyson on Evander Holyfield, takes his, just his, his ear off. And Jesus stops him and says, look, 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 look you, you don't fight this battle. If I wanted to, he said, there are legions of angels that you can't see. That if I were to call them down, they'd take me. 
I were to, if I were to say, you know, they're, they're just waiting, standing by, trigger happy, waiting, waiting to rescue me. I don't, I don't need you to rescue me, Peter. This is all part of the plan. And I wonder, as those angels watched on standby, if he had to repeat, Father, forgive them, Father, forgive them, to re- even remind those angels, don't, no, don't interfere, don't interfere. It was a beautiful means of grace to all of us that day at Calvary. He kept his focus in his suffering. And his focus was on you and on me. Number four, prayer is the lifeline through pain. This is a prayer. He doesn't just say it out loud as a statement. He says, Father, forgive them. He's praying to God. What's beautiful about the seven statements on the cross, the first statement is a prayer. The final statement is a prayer. The, fi- the statement in the middle, statement number four that we'll get to in a few weeks, is a prayer. Jesus died the way he lived. G- G- Jesus lived praying. Jesus died praying. He was faithful to talk to his heaven. If, oh, if God... If God had Jesus reliant upon him through daily prayer, how much, how much arrogance do we live in to think that we shouldn't be developing the habit of daily prayer with God? Jesus shows us in the way he lived and the way he died how important daily communication with God is. It's a healthy habit. In fact, write it down. Healthy habits are a safeguard to success. And it's such a healthy habit that you would be talking to God in the mornings and talking to God in the middle of the day and talking to God at night. Just talk to God. It doesn't have to be flowery. Just talk. The Bible says that when we pray instead of worry, when we pray instead of twiddle our thumbs or bite our bottom lip or just kind of do our own thing, when we pray, the Bible says the peace of God which transcends, it rises above all your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. It puts a guard over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You know what else is beautiful about prayer? The Bible says that when you're hurting, when you feel broken, when you feel wounded, that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Prayer is the lifeline through your pain. Janet, would you join me real quick? When I pray for you, I probably won't pray with you like this. But this is, this is my wife, and I can pray with her um, really close. I like that. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so she's like, okay, easy, easy, easy trigger. So I pray like this with our 15-year-old daughter. I pray like this with our 10-year-old son. I pray like this with my not 15-year-old wife, um, we'll, we'll keep the age to ourselves, but um, <laughs> does it matter? But here's what I'll do with my kiddos at night. They may be laying in bed, and I'll just lean over and put my head on their head like this. I love you. No one could ever love you like Jesus loves you. There are times that Jane and I will stand in the kitchen like this together. Oh, God. Oh, God. Protect our children. With all the craziness going on in this world, oh God, the same way those angels were there, would you just surround our children? God, I pray that I would be slow 
to get angry, and I'd be quick to listen. Oh, God, would you help us to learn how to love each other more like you love us? And this closeness here, Gene and I have prayed prayers over our kids, prayers over one another, prayers for each other, prayers for you, Timber Creek Church. Prayers for you, Duncan and Dieball, for those men there. We've, we've, we've put our heads together. We've just prayed. There's just this closeness. And I want you to know, when you pray and you're hurting, the God of the cosmos is near you. Close enough to guard your heart and mind. Can you just thank him with me for a moment? Thank you, God, that you're near. You're not a God leaning over the walls of heaven. You're a God that lives among us, with us. Your spirit inside of us, near to us. I believe there is a conception happening in this church with this series. Listen to me carefully. I believe there's something about taking this time and remembering these words. I, the, the, I believe there is a need for us to be suited up and prepared for what God has for the future of this church. And we're not going to get what we need unless we go back to the cross and remember and remember. And remember and allow those things to change our hearts. To not just walk out these doors having heard another sermon. But walk through these doors empowered by the words of God. Number five. Forgiveness must be accepted as well as offered. In this prayer on the cross from a sleep-deprived, tortured, tattered Savior. He does all his part, and he pays the price. He paid, he paid a debt you couldn't pay, a debt that he didn't owe. But you owed that debt, and you, there's no way you could ever pay it, and he pays it. But I want to say something to you. Just because he paid it, just because he provides it, doesn't mean that you have really accepted it. You have to accept his gift. The bomb of grace went off. The dead man's handle was released. In that moment, physically, an earthquake took place on the earth. The Bible says that the temple representing the presence of God, that only common man could get into one part, that the veil that, 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 lay, that was hung from ceiling to roof, that it rips in two, and only the high priest once a year could get behind the veil and give sacrifice to God. And in that moment, in that release of the safety mechanism, forgiveness has provided the the veil is ripped and now common man can enter in and receive the gift of forgiveness. But you have to, like, enter. You have to ask for it. And I know that I'm talking to people that have asked for forgiveness. Some of you. But there are, there are others of you that you've drifted. 
And you need, his, you, you need to be reminded of his forgiveness that has already been paid. And you need to invite Jesus to do what only he can do and clean out. Though your sin be like scarlet, be like crimson. His forgiveness makes you white as snow. I finish with this little story in 1829. Do the math, like 30, 40 years ago. It's a joke. 1829, the president was Andrew Jackson. And one of the acts of Andrew Jackson, he pardoned two criminals that were three weeks away from hanging in the gallows. The, the historical piece of this pardon was not that there was a pardon because every president has had pardons and has used them. But this particular historical moment was not based on Jackson's giving of the pardon, but when these two criminals were given the pardon, one walked free and lived. The other criminal said, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want to leave. I want to face judgment. And this astounded everybody in the ranks. From the cellmate to the prison guards to the warden then to higher government officials and it had to go all the way up to the Supreme Court and they had to make a ruling can you really refuse a pardon? Can you refuse it? Is that even legal? And in the ruling of 1830 there by the Supreme Court they wrote a pardon is not valid without acceptance Jesus gave you the pardon. But it doesn't activate without you accepting. And, li and listen, I know that some struggle with this. They, they struggle. How could, a, <clears throat> how could a loving God send anybody to hell? And one way to, to respond to that is God doesn't send anybody to hell. Um, we, we make those choices on our own. He's given a clear path to heaven. One way, the truth, the life, the narrow road to heaven. But let me say it this way. God loves you so much that if you don't want to live for him, if you don't want to accept his forgiveness, he's not going to force you to be with him for eternity. He's given you the pardon, but you don't have to accept it. But I wonder if we're in the room today and you just, you need to surrender to Jesus today. Some of you for the first time because you need to invite Jesus to be your savior, but others of you, you've been doing it the way you see fit and there's sin in your life. There's sin where you are not acting the way, you're not living the way God has called you to live. Repentance is about changing direction. Today is the day. Father, forgive us. We don't know what we do. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? All locations there, Dieball and Duncan right here in Lufkin, if you're here today and you say, Jeremy, 
I need to surrender to God today. If that's you, just put a hand straight up in the air. I need his forgiveness today. I need his forgiveness today. I need his forgiveness today. All over the room, all over the room. He forgives you. He loves you, but you have to believe it. You have to accept it. You have to confess that to him. Confess that sin. God, this is what I've been doing. It's not you. This is my life I've been living. That's not you. Confess it to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Then you begin to walk it out. He says, if you acknowledge me before men, I acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. You cannot accept his forgiveness and then not let it change the pattern of your days. You have to then walk it out. So God, I, I, I accept you for who you are. Would you forgive me of my sins? Oh God, when I've fallen short and I failed and I've not become who you've called me to become, would you forgive me? Now receive it right now in Jesus' name. Receive that forgiveness. Don't walk in shame. Receive that forgiveness. He's forgiving you in this moment. Let Jesus wash that crimson stain away in this moment. Breathe a peace that passes understanding right now in Jesus' name. He forgives and he loves and he pardons. Accept it. And I would be doing a disservice to you and your loved ones if we didn't take this moment now and pray over those that have yet to ask forgiveness that aren't here today, that they need the hope of Jesus Christ and they're not, they're, they've not known that. Father, for our friends and relatives, associates and neighbors that need you, sweet Jesus, we pray that as you stand at the door and knock, that they would hear your knocking and they would open the door and invite you in. That we would invite them to come into the church to experience you, but we would go outside of the church and offer that forgiveness. Let that get forgiveness flow wherever we go. And we thank you, Lord. This is a promise for everybody. It's a promise that you paid for with your own son. Thank you, God. Can you just say thank you to the Lord? Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, come on, put your hands together for those that made a decision today to accept that greatest gift ever given. That connect card there at the Die Ball Correctional in Duncan. There's a place you can mark. I'm making a commitment for Christ right here in your seat back pocket. Drop that in the offering plate as it's passed or as you walk by it there at our locations. We want to help you take next steps because maybe you're saying, I need forgiveness, but you don't know what your next steps are. Hey, that's what we're here to do. We're here to be tour guides for your next steps in faith. So we want to help you with that. We're going to receive our offering as a benediction to this service. Um, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are, but please don't move. Stay where you are, but just stand. We're going to receive this morning's giving, tithes and offerings. Uh, it's another banner year. We're able to do more and more uh, based on what you're able to give. I want to share a very super fast story. Um, Mary, is Dan with you? He's in the back as he's doing stuff. He's not skipping. He's not smoking back there. He's just, he's just out there serving. Okay. Um, it's a joke. Dan was telling me a story uh, just a few, a couple hours ago in our first Sunday prayer. 8.30 to 8.55, we have just this moment, I mean, just 25 minutes of focused worship and prayer to start off the month. And we do that in the chapel. Everybody's invited if you want to come. 8.30 in the morning. We start at 8.30. We end at 8.55. 
um, Dan came over to me right after. He said, hey, I got to tell you something. I had a guy walk into our church on Wednesday night, not on a Sunday, but on a Wednesday night. He, he came and he sat at my table. He said, I've never, I've never been to church before. You've never been to this church? I've never been to church before. East Texas. He said, wow. And, and he said, well, what? He said, well, I just never was invited. But recently there's been someone coming to this church that invited me. And so I decided I would come. And what Dan told me was that uh, now saying, hey, I want to get involved in starting point and move forward. And I just want to say God is moving like that. And, and like we give thanks to the Lord through our giving about how he's still moving on hearts. And we're able to reach more people as we give. So I just want to say thank you. That's part of the product of us giving. Can you just celebrate that awesome, cool little story? Just walking on, just walking in, getting connected. Let's sing this song as we give our connect cards, our offerings, our tithes. Come on, let's sing this with Cody. Go ahead, man. items and I'll let you go. The two housekeeping items are this. Out in our lobby, uh, there are signups for two events happening over the next few weeks. Um, a big one-time event, a men's conference and a women's conference. Both are excursions. They're out of town. One's in Dallas and one's for the ladies in Missouri. And I want to say to you, this is the first day that we've started sign up for ladies and like 40 ladies have already signed up. This has been like the, the, the 12th day, Sunday for men's and like two have signed up. But, but, but here, here's what I want to say. Men, men, we're not going to sit around a campfire and like, hey, tell me what your biggest fear is. Like that's not, that's not what we're going to do at the men's conference. We're going to go to Dallas. We're going to eat well. We're going we're gonna to have fun. There's not going to be any trust falls or getting, you know, you know naked spiritually or, or physically. But, but either, neither, okay? I want to encourage you men, listen. You need to be getting away with God, but another thing is you need to be getting away, taking a little time to strengthen. If you will go to a conference to better your salesmanship, if you'll go and learn a craft and get certified in something, I want to challenge you men, take the time, sign up, be a part to get away and strengthen the man of God who you are called to be. So sign up for that. Sign up for that. And women. You, you already know. You just, I just can't wait to go. I just, oh, no. So I don't even have to encourage you. I just want you to know it's happening. And we want to take as many as we possibly can. But the quicker you sign up, the more, you know, details we can arrange. Consider it. Check out the cost. It costs money. 
If you need to talk about a scholarship, we can figure that out. When you give, like you just gave, we're able to provide some scholarships for people to go see their life transformed. So God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. And may you experience that peace of God that transcends all understanding. God bless you, everybody. See you next Sunday. Thank you.